Hey, it's Jake Wiskirchen back with you on the Noggin Notes podcast. This is episode number 42, and it's part three of our three-part series on rural mental health. Uh, we called it an overview, and that's basically what it is. So part three is going to consist of the, the politics and funding involved with uh, rural mental health and how we deliver services to people who live in rural areas. Again, we'll be interviewing Adrian Sutherland from Community Chest. You can check out communitychestnevada.net if you want to see more about what they do and the programs they offer and, and certainly to support them if you, if you wish to financially. They are a nonprofit and they do a lot of really good stuff and they can't do it without your support. So please, uh, please check out Community Chest Nevada. We thank them very much for giving us uh, Adrian on loan to do this podcast. Uh, it took a couple of hours for us to do these uh, recordings and so her sacrifice is noted and it is much appreciated it's always nice to have clinicians from around the area give their perspectives on various things that are in their wheelhouse of expertise and certainly adrian knows a lot about what's going on in the rural areas so thanks to her thanks to community chest and if you uh, if you really like this uh, let us know and if you really don't like it let us know that too at uh, info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org and if you don't like it, then we will never do it again. Although I don't know why we would. I don't know how many brief overviews you can give on rural mental health. But anyway, here's part three. It's episode number 42 on the Naga Notes podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Well, it's part three. Uh, if you're joining us now and you've endured parts one and two, that must mean you like us. Uh, I'm back. I'm Jake. And I'm back with Adrian, uh, last name Sutherland. And Nice to be back. Yeah, uh, we didn't really go very far in between. We've <laughs> been sitting true. in the same office in uh, Hillside Studios in uh, lovely Reno, Nevada. I say Hillside because it's we're recording in a church because uh, that's what you get with a free podcast. Uh, you get to record it wherever you can in the uh, Hillside Foursquare Church. Check out hillside4.org if you'd like. Um, is uh, is in Reno, Nevada, and uh, this is my church, and it's a quiet space, and uh, <laughs> that's why we're here. Sometimes I record in my garage. Sometimes we record at Zephyr Wellness. Sometimes we're recording a church. So uh, welcome back. And this is part three, and we're going to talk about the politics and funding of rural mental health care. And we could rabbit trail into a whole bunch of different topics, but we're going to try to keep it succinct. And there's there's three major funding sources that uh, Adrian and I agreed exist. Um, there's insurance funding, where you, you bill uh, and then they pay you. There's grant funding where somebody just gives you money and says, we don't want anything back except results, <laughs> more or less. And then there's state or government funding. And we could put a capital S on state if you want. Uh, the, the state uh, gives, gives you money. And there's different uh, formulas and formats for that. But then there's politics. And not all politics are bad. Uh, some politics bring people together. You were talking about coalitions. Coalitions have been an invaluable resource within the rural areas to collectively bring uh, whatever resources are needed into these rural areas. Knowledge, chiefly. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I is just sharing knowledge and then going, oh, yeah, 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 let's do that. Right. Well, and as I mentioned before in the previous podcast was the grassroots effort mm -hmm. and the creativity that's oftentimes needed in order to get these efforts off the ground. One of the coalitions that you and I have been a part of, well, there's, there's really two. One is the Health and Wellness Hub of mm -hmm. Lyon and Story Counties, and that aims to bring partners together to create a, a continuity of care. Absolutely. The, that holistic approach and ensuring that 
almost that one-stop shop, if that's mm-hmm. even possible, in counties that are so spread apart. Yeah, and I think I think it's more of a virtual idea than, right. than a, a physical idea. So uh, Zephyr Wellness has an office in Lyon County, and the idea would be that if someone came into Zephyr seeking, say, counseling, and through the process of counseling discovered they also needed job training, we could send them to you or we could send them to Healthy Communities Coalition, which mm-hmm. is another, uh, it's a county, fun- or it's, I'm sorry, it's a nonprofit, but it's associated with the county. And um, so the Health and Wellness Hub has tried to connect these dots, and it's chiefly driven by a safe schools environment. So the schools serve as an anchor in a lot of these communities. And, and so if you can bring the schools, the law enforcement, the probation officers, the mental health workers, the physical health workers, uh, and various other entities, job, job training programs in, into the same room, we create what, what we've affectionately called a, a no wrong door policy. Yes. And that's a, it's a cool buzz term that I actually, I like. I like it too, because, and really I think what has made it so successful is the relationships that are built between agencies, providers. It really is such a, a close community. A lot of trust. A lot, a lot of trust. trust. And then the second coalition is, um, it's, it's state driven and there's a behavioral health task force and that it comes from the legislature. There are four of them across the state of Nevada. What I oh. actually sit on one of the policy boards. Oh, you do? I do. Okay. Yeah. So there's these policy boards. They have associated uh, workers that go out into the community and, and do stuff and try to generate consensus among people and providers and agencies. And the task forces are split into subcommittees. And it sounds like a lot of bureaucracy, but it's really not. It's been very, very efficient, I believe. I sit on the, I try to participate in the task force as much as I can, but I, I sit on the, the, the subcommittee to promote um, de- development, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, and to connect people to, to different care. So we're working on innovative ideas to, to do things like collaborate and share resources and share referrals and because you know, we can't do it all ourselves. And to collectively or cohesively collect data, which is uh, yes, essential for things like grants. Good point. Good point. So now that you've segued into grant funding, you're the grant person at, you know, from the grant driven agency. I know very little about that world except what I hear from other people. So I will let you talk about grants. Well, grants have been a huge asset to being able to deliver resources or mental health counseling or whatever program that's being operated, be able to provide those programs at no cost to the clients that we're serving, which if you think about it, if you're already impoverished, you're already struggling financially, the last thing you're going to put your financial resources towards is something like mental health. So... a couple of different grants that we operate under, Victims of Crime Act, the Violence Against Women Act, um, specifically the STOP grant, which is for domestic violence. What's Is that an acronym too? VAWA. No, STOP grant. Oh, STOP. Uh, does the STOP mean something is what I'm asking? I, I'd never heard of that. That's why I'm asking. It does stand for something, but I can't off the top of my head tell you what. Fair enough. Everybody's uh, listening to this on the app. I'm sure they have smartphones. They can Google it. What, <laughs> what is the STOP grant? <laughs> but, it is for domestic violence okay. specifically. Okay. So the, they fund some of your programs. They where, do. Where else does a nonprofit's funding come from? Well, as an agency, we probably have about 26 different grants that we're operating wow. under. And part of that is because the broad range of services that we're offering. Um, we also get some of our funding from private donations. We get it from 
And when I say grants, it's not only the federal level, but it's also the state level. Okay. And and private people can donate. And I guess we could say that they're granting you money and call <laughs> it a grant. But uh, typically what accompanies a grant are, I hear 26 different grants and it just makes my hair stand on end because mm-hmm. I hate paperwork. And I, I think that sounds like a nightmare. I'd also like some funding, so maybe I'll tolerate the nightmare. But tell, tell us about, like, you know, inform, inform the audience, like, what, what accompanies a grant? You don't just go ask for money and they give it to you and you walk away and do stuff. No, and, and I guess I should also mention there are also for-profit organizations will provide grants as well to mm. the nonprofits. Okay. So some of these major corporations will provide grants. But essentially, the, it, it – varies in terms of level of depth that is needed in order to write for these grants. But, I mean, we're talking hundreds of pages sometimes of narrative. We're identifying not only the scope of the problem, but also what scope of practice are we going to be um, presenting in order to resolve that issue. There are there's so much backup information that's required in order to go into particularly federal grants tend to be the most difficult to write for but then once you get that grant you also have to dedicate time and energy into maintaining it so we're talking grant reports collecting data from all of your um, employees putting together those reports getting them in in a timely manner going through audits Um, it's not it certainly is not just a free ride I think I threw up a little bit in my mouth (laughs) listening to that several hundred pages of application. We bill insurance at Zephyr. Uh, That's where most of our money comes from. We do have a few – I like spending other people's grant money (laughs) because then they can do all the paperwork and we're just responsible for delivering the service effectively. But I do not envy you. Now, some people don't envy us because insurance billing is is a headache in uh, in and of itself. But I wanted to ask you where – how do you guys do that? Like that sounds like a full-time job, grant writer. And I know there are, there are people who do that, grant writing. Mm-hmm. Do you have a grant writer or several grant writers or do you participate in that? Like how did, the data collection it – sounds, it sounds overwhelming. It sounds hideous. So there are a few of us who write grants. I am one of those individuals okay. at Community Chest. Um, really – The way that we've broken it down is whatever program, that program manager or director will go ahead and take over or oversee the writing of that grant. And typically that means writing it yourself. Once you get a grant, is it easier to get it next time if you do well? It depends because sometimes what we've found, especially in more recent years, is that the uh, funding gets cut. So whereas we may have at one time, and I'm just going to throw out a round number, at one time maybe we would have received $100,000 in grants. Now all of a sudden we have other agencies who are also applying for the same grant, and they're Uh, as equally important, and they may be serving a different area that is also low in resources. So then they take that $100,000 grant, and they split it into two $50,000 grants. So if you're independently wealthy and you're (laughs) listening to this, what we're saying is spread the wealth. (laughs) We could use it. One thing that I really like about the grant model, grant-funded model, is that it really appeals to my own values and ideals, which is that ability to go ahead and provide these services at a free or reduced cost to other clients. Yeah, I I hear that. And I think, again, going back to the the common values between agencies, Zephyr is for-profit, but we're run like a Mm non-profit. We, empl- we don't employ because we don't pay them, but we have uh, graduate students in our employ who see people who 
don't have insurance, whose coverage we don't take, uh, they, they lack funding, whatever. And so it's it's our way of giving back to the community and saying, you can come to us and we're not going to turn you away for inability to pay or insurance cover or lack of insurance coverage. And, and in effect, we are funding our own process. But that has limitations in and of itself, and, and there's different parameters. I think the reason I like grants as an idea is simply because they do hold the recipient accountable, mm. and you do get good data. I have to voluntarily compile something that generates data off mm. of my agency, whereas I, there's no external pressure to do that. It, someday, I'd like a, a database that, that collects that kind of thing, and we're starting to collect more data. But you guys are compelled to do it, and I, and I think that overall elevates the whole benefit of mankind so to speak because those data get published and then people share that stuff and so there's there's new information that gets passed around that says we're weak in this area we're strong in this area what can we do better what do we need to keep in place and so i really appreciate the grants for that purpose Uh, my my agency just billing insurance doesn't necessarily pull down that kind of stuff Right, and tracking the population to find out what issues are specific to our area. And one thing that comes to mind, again, is the Victims of Crime Grant right. that we operate under. We're tracking how how much uh, domestic violence is there in our area. How many calls are you know, do the sheriff's office experience? How many calls or what percentage of that does the advocate handle? What percentage of that goes into... Um, uh, adjudication or goes through the uh, district attorney's office? Mm-hmm. Uh, the answers to those are lots, lots, more than we'd like <laughs> yes. and uh, more than we'd like. Yes, when it comes to Nevada. Yeah. Uh, so to, to turn it a little less bleak, we've, we've also got – so I, I mentioned the insurance funding, and there's, there's some politics involved there too. Insurance companies, if, for people who don't know – now, there's, there's basically two different types. There's government-funded insurance, and then there's private-funded insurance. And private-funded insurance are your managed care organizations like Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, where the members pay a premium to receive some stated list of benefits. And when they cash in on those benefits, the insurance company pays the provider to render a service. The, grant, the government-funded insurance, like your Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE for um, uh, military families, for example, those come from tax, tax dollars, and the same process is applied. As a member goes and receives care, the provider gets reimbursed from the, from the company. And I'm way oversimplifying it. The way those people are held accountable is if you're in a managed care organization, the members hold you accountable. If, you're net, if your insurance network is abysmal, uh, you're going to lose members, and then that insurance company is going to have to fight some way to keep, get, get those people back so it can make money. And if the government insurance network is terrible, the government itself is supposed to hold those people accountable. And uh, we're all trying to outsource and, and clean things up and try to make, make things uh, efficient and, and contain costs and prevent fraud and all that sort of things. But uh, what gets in the way oftentimes is greed, first of all. Uh, insurance companies want to make money. They don't want to spend it, just like most people. But they're not real quick to, to pay out to providers. They're not real quick to authorize services because every time they authorize a service, they're having to shell out money for that service, whether it's a you know a kidney transplant or a, a 53-minute psychotherapy session. Mm-hmm. So every dollar spent helping the public is a dollar that goes away from the shareholders. Now, the, the managed care, I'm sorry, the, uh, the government-funded side operates almost exactly the same way. The government outsources that stuff to organizations like United Healthcare, uh, for example, with um, Health Plan of Nevada, and they command 
United Healthcare to quote unquote contain costs while balancing that against per service provi- provision. Mm-hmm. And so the 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 game becomes do I go into network as a provider with this entity knowing that it's going to have way more hoops to jump through because the government is running it and bureaucracies are very slow and for good reason. We want to hold people accountable. So that ends up being uh, an access to care issue because very few people want to go into the Medicaid or Medicare network or in our field, mental health counselors collectively known, uh, marriage and family therapists, clinical professional counselors, licensed professional counselors nationally are not allowed to go in a network with Medicare, meaning the entire elderly population can't be served by our people. They can be served by clinical social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists who are all usually very busy. But there's an entire, you know, several thousand people who could be serving this demographic and they aren't because the government at some point decided it wasn't going to let us in. So there's that obstacle. And in the rural areas, you see a lot of government subsistence because of the aforementioned poverty. Mm-hmm. And you're nodding and you look like you want to say something. Well, again, as you're speaking, when I think about also the insurance companies, the you mentioned that with grants, there are so much paperwork or there's so much paperwork that yeah. goes into it. I see a different issue with the insurance companies, too, in the amount of paperwork. And it's <laughs> Tell also, me about it. <laughs> it also requires a diagnosis, which, as we know, diagnosis can follow our clients around and sometimes yep. impede their quality of life. Yeah, you tend to self-label or it's limiting. It's, exactly. And that's a whole other debate as to whether to diagnose or not to. Um, but Another podcast is what it sounds like. <laughs> exactly. How much more time you got before dinner? I know, right? <laughs> husband waiting, yeah. <laughs> so... So, yeah, I mean, I guess there's different levels of paperwork that is required. I don't know which is best. Which is why we tend to like the hybrid model. So do a little of both. I know you guys are looking to get into network with Medicaid. Or you already have. We already are. You're uh, in network with Medicaid. We've been in network with Medicaid for about a year now, but we have yet to bill Uh, because of those challenges. And we don't have the manpower in order to explore that system and navigate through all the ins and outs. The listening audience can't see me, but I just, my head dropped and I was shaking it because it's shameful that your organization can't recuperate costs and bill and serve those members. For, For those of you who don't know, Medicaid serves the indigent, Medicare serves the elderly in the United States. And they're all, they're all government funded typically from the government, from the federal government that then gets distributed to the states and the states then determine how and when to go about using that stuff. And then the final piece is there's, um, well, I guess we covered it. State, <laughs> there's, there, oh, there's government funding. You can get government funding straight from the state to operate. And those tend to be your government agencies. Mm-hmm. So we've got grants, we've got insurance billing, and then there's places like Division of Child and Family Services, which does render services. They uh, and, and really even schools now are using both grant money and state funding. And some are dabbling with the idea of, of billing insurance. Mm-hmm. But they're providing services too, and you're about to jump in. We actually just uh, partnered with Lyon County Juvenile Probation in order, to, so they received funding. So that's a county. That's a county or government organization. Exactly, mm-hmm. and they received state funding in order to provide a mental health counselor to keep kids out of the um, the juvenile probation system. So when a kid comes on the radar, rather than automatically going the full nine yards of arrest, adjudication, and everything that goes along with that, how do we keep them out of the criminal justice system? Yeah, yes, yes, because that tends to be the, the, the cycle. And, and broadly for adults, and especially I would say even in the urban areas, for people who pop onto the radar, so to speak, with their, their mental illness issues, 
they there were two traditional places to dump them emergency rooms or jails right and uh so we need we need some sort of in between it's that's great that they they got that funding i know they were waiting on it for a long time and um, i'm really happy that you guys as an agency received that that contract because you're going to do it well and when that funding comes through that's one more job that's provided for one more mental health worker mm-hmm. that doesn't pull from your pool it's a, it's a new graduate it's some you know we're, we're growing the workforce which means overall more people are getting treated if we're growing the workforce so absolutely so that's that's uh that kind of wraps up our funding and politics uh conversation we didn't delve too deeply into the the competing interests of politics because that just it's distasteful <laughs> and it puts people to sleep this uh, is yes there's there's another true. podcast you can listen to for that that's called the nevada independent <laughs> and they're excellent at it um thank you again for tuning in and if this is your first show we invite you to go back and listen to some of the older ones because i think that everything that comes out of my mouth is really good and all my audience all my uh interviewees are amazing so uh, go back and check out some of the other stuff. And feel free to write us with any questions that you may have. Info at nogginnotes.com, info at zephyrwellness.org. If you want to support Community Chest, communitychestnevada.net is where you would go for that. Mm-hmm. Adrian Sutherland, thanks. Love your company. Appreciate you. Appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this and share my thoughts. It's neat, and we'll do it again on a different topic for sure because um, it's just uh, the, the information doesn't do any good locked up in our heads. You know, we nope. need to share this stuff. So, again, it, listening audience, share your stuff. Write in, email us, uh, support us, give me a high five virtually. I'll, I'll pass the high five along to Adrian. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next week on the Noggin Notes podcast. If you haven't already, download the app through the uh, any app store, really. Podcast is available on iTunes. Give us a rating and review. That helps drive listenership and uh, helps people benefit. So wishing you all great mental wellness on behalf of Adrian and the Zephyr Wellness team, the Noggin Notes crew, and all the community chess family. Thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Mm-hmm.